Welcome to today's webinar, Navigating the Public Charge Rule During COVID-19. This is the Immigration Advocates Network. We harness the power of technology in collaboration to support immigrants and their allies. My name is Trey Dennis Brown, and I work within the organization as an AmeriCorps VISTA to help improve access to justice. Today, I am joined by Hope Nakamura, who is a directing attorney at the Legal Aid Society of San Mateo County, California. She's been doing government benefits work for 30 years at the Legal Aid Society, and she's here to talk about keeping your benefits alongside with me today. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. Well, you know, I guess without further ado, I guess we can just jump right into it if that's okay with you. That's great. Of course, we'll just try to keep this as conversational as possible. Sure. So I guess jumping right into it, what would you say exactly is a public charge rule? Uh, well, so public charge is kind of two different concepts. Uh, the first is, and uh, to your point, the legal issue is that some immigration applications or visas have a public charge uh, determination that allows an application or visa to be denied if the government thinks that that immigrant is gonna rely mainly on the government for subsistence in the future. This is a very narrow legal concept. But because the prior administration tried to broaden this rule, many people think that public charge applies to every immigration status uh, and to many types of benefits that are beyond the rule. And this is that chilling effect that we've heard about recently that people who are concerned about uh, poverty are fighting against. Yeah, I mean, I mean, speaking to the chilling effect, I mean, especially during the COVID pandemic, you know, where everyone has sort of been struggling and, you know, maybe income has been lesser than normal, you know, we find that it's probably been hitting immigrant families the hardest. You know, I think I saw the other day a December 2020 study where, you know, one in four adults in low-income families, you know, reported, low-income immigrant families, mind you, reported that they or a family member avoided non-cash benefits or other support so as to not sort of jeopardize their future applications. Yes, and this was really concerning to those of us who do poverty law because we know from the pen, during the height of the pandemic that this was disproportionately affecting immigrants and folks on the low income uh, spectrum of the economy. And so to hear that immigrant families were avoiding benefits that eligible members of their family uh, could otherwise be getting was really distressing to us. And so we tried to do whatever we could to try to encourage people and educate people about the public charge rule uh, because this was a big factor in people avoiding benefits. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's super concerning. And that's definitely something we hope to rectify just by having a simple conversation today. Speaking to the sort of immigrants that have been sort of avoiding these kind of benefits, we know that, you know, not necessarily all immigrants are affected the same way. So what kind of immigrants would you say would be affected by this public charge rule currently? So the public charge rule mainly applies to um, visas, certain visas abroad coming from abroad and for those immigrants who are seeking a green card or lawful permanent residence through a family petition. Those are really the only people who are affected. And for those who are in the United States already, uh, the vast majority of people, um, who, the only people who are really affected are those who are eventually applying for a green card through a family member, not people who are applying for 
a green card through other immigration statuses and not for all those humanitarian kinds of applications like a, a petition for asylum or uh, the DACA, the DREAMers, uh, the uh, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival folks and for many other kinds of immigrants. Well, thank you so much for expanding on that. You know, this conversation is important to me and that's why I kind of, you know, sought you out because, you know, for example, my mother recently applied, successfully applied for permanent residence around three years ago. So, and she's just beginning to start her citizenship proceedings. Do you think she's probably okay to go through with that? Oh yeah, so definitely does not, uh, there's no public charge determination when applying for a US citizenship. And it doesn't apply to green card renewals. It doesn't apply for many other uh, humanitarian relief statuses, like I mentioned, including TPS and those U and T visas for people who are victims of crime mm -hmm. or trafficking. So your mom is definitely safe. Uh, she's already a, a lawful permanent resident. Uh, the only caution I would say is for people who are lawful permanent residents who go out of the country uh, out of the United States for more than six months and then try to re-entry, it's possible that a public charge determination could be made, but those generally don't happen. So, <laughs> well, so. thank you. I'll be sure to tell her that she's good, but to not go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's she's also free to go anywhere as long as she doesn't plan on being out of the country for more than six months, which most uh, permanent residents are not. And and if you are out of the country for more than six months, it's really not a public, it's not the public charge rule that you have to worry about. It's more whether or not you've lost your permanent residency status. So we always encourage people who are planning to go out of the country for more, for a long period of time to consult with an immigration attorney before they actually leave. But yeah, no, for by and large, uh, lawful permanent residents or green card holders don't face a public charge test when they're applying for uh, citizenship certainly and generally don't face it at all. Uh, but and there's we get several calls uh, over the course of this period from uh, green card holders who are worried that it's going to affect their renewal cards. But no, it doesn't affect uh, your renewing your green card uh, status either. So. Okay, so this seems like a pretty good transition point. So with regards to things that may count towards future applications, you know, what kind of benefits should people be not worried about taking or sh what should they be stay staying away from? Okay, so yeah, so this is where you get the intersection of immigration law and public benefits law. Uh, and uh, currently and uh, hopefully permanently, the only kinds of benefits that count if you even face a public charge test are cash assistance benefits that are for ongoing maintenance like SSI or the te temporary assistance for needy families or TANF. Uh, in California, it's called CalWORKS. In many states, it's, you know, they adopt a different name for it, but those basic federal welfare benefits for families or general assistance or general relief programs that a county or a state might provide. Uh, but those are the only cash benefits that count. Uh, and in addition, uh, long-term institutionalized care or nursing home care that's paid for by Medicaid. So if you look at who faces a public charge test, those are mostly folks who are don't have a status and are trying to get status through a family member or a green card. Those folks are generally not eligible for these benefits anyways. 
uh, in California, we do make uh, provisions for people on, in long-term care to be eligible for our Medi-Cal program. But by and large, many states don't provide that benefit to undocumented or folks that don't have lawful permanent resident status. Uh, so, so if you're eligible for a benefit, it's likely that you're not facing a public charge test in uh, anyways. But if you are facing a public charge test, you'll find that those benefits um, you're generally not eligible for. And those are, again, only the cash assistance benefits for ongoing maintenance and for long-term care Medicaid. So very narrow, but um, unfortunately during the Trump years, uh, they, he tried to inc uh, expand the list of benefits and that's what's caused a lot of the chilling effect during this pandemic uh, because they at, tried to add and did add for a short period of time food stamps or SNAP benefits and regular Medicaid as well as uh, public housing assistance paid for by the federal government. But uh, those have since been uh, removed from the regulation under the Biden administration, and we're hoping that the Biden administration will uh, will uh, enact permanent regulations so that it's clear that those benefits don't count. And also, you know, we also hear people who uh, are concerned about unemployment benefits that during the pandemic, uh, families that had immigrants in their households didn't apply for unemployment benefits or social security benefits that they otherwise would have been eligible for. Um, for fear of this rule, but any of those kinds of social insurance programs like unemployment or social security don't count under the benefits, I mean, under the public charge rule. Yeah, and I mean, you know, thankfully, you know, we have seen so many changes with regards to immigration policy with the changing of administrations. And while it's great to see, you know, the changes for the better, we obviously shouldn't grow complacent and continue to fight for more change moving forward, you know, push the Biden administration to really start serving our immigrant communities. So thank you for all of that. I do have one follow-up question because I know you, we've, we've briefly alluded to sort of family members' benefits. Can you talk more about those kind of situations where a family member's application might affect a person undergoing the public charge sort of uh, questionnaire? Yes, so this was also is also uh, a misconception that's out there is that the immigrant who's applying for the status um, ha may have a family member because we know that in America we have a lot of mixed status households where we might have a citizen child and a, an undocumented or a, a, a permanent resident parent uh, and the person who's trying to apply for a green card is worried about getting benefits for their citizen child because I think that have, might have some impact on their benefits um, or on their application for a green card. And it's pretty clear, it's very clear actually, that a family member's uh, use of benefits doesn't have a negative effect on that immigrant's application unless it's the cash benefit program and that's the only, uh, the, the primary income for the family. So uh, that's the only instance where it might have an effect, but uh, it's not the only factor in uh, the public charge test, which is uh, the other point that I wanted to make and that might clarify for people that the public charge rule is not just about getting benefits. Um, so <clears throat> I know I briefly talked earlier about, you know, the changing of administration. Um, 
with regards to sort of the changing policies, I know that there were some changes that happened on March 9th recently. I think in our previous discussion, we talked about maybe it wasn't as extensive as I might have thought. So can you maybe enlighten us all more about that? Yes, well, it's uh, actually fairly uh, extensive. On the 9th, the um, court order that or the local or district court order that vacated the Trump administration's public charge regulations actually was able to take effect. And later, the USCIS or immigration authorities officially removed those Trump regulations from the books. Those are the ones I mentioned before where trying to expand the kinds of benefits that could be considered under the public charge rule. Um, but the result of all of that legal maneuvering means that the old public charge rules that have been around for a very long time are in effect. And those are the ones that were in the 1999 field guidance. Uh, and, and that clearly states that it's the cash aid benefits and the long-term care Medicaid that count. Uh, and also makes clear that family members' use of benefits don't count. But I also wanted to get back to, um, you know, th this public charge rule has been around for 100 years. It's, there's actually a, a law in this, this field guidance and these regulations are just how they implement the law. And it says that you're supposed to look at the totality of circumstances. So not just whether or not the person happened to use cash benefits, but also uh, they look at the person's health, their age, their other income and resources, their skills and education, essentially what's their potential in the future for earning uh, income, as well as having a sponsor. Uh, and if you have a sponsor and you these other factors are strong, it may not matter that you used cash or somebody in your family or you used cash aid in the past. Um, it's, it's just one factor of many other factors. And folks lose sight of that and think that the second that they use any kind of benefit that it's going to make them a public charge. We hear that term a lot, uh, but that's not really what the rule is about. The rule is about a forward-looking test to see whether or not they think if we let you in or give you a green card, are you going to be the type of person that's going to be able to uh, you know, survive uh, mainly through your own means or your family means, or are you going to rely on government benefits for your main income? Uh, and so they look at all these other things, not just use the benefits. So folks should not feel scared about using these benefits, especially if it's benefits for citizen children or um, other LPR members, green card holder members of the household. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting topic because, you know, once again, this is a little personal for me, but, you know, I was a sponsor for my mother's application back in 2018, and we were hitting some roadblocks until my mother and her lawyer realized that she had been paying taxes consistently every quarter since the 90s. And that sort of just sort of gave us the all clear to continue ahead with the application. Does that seem about right to you? Exactly. Both your being her sponsor and her having a job history would be strong factors in favor of uh, her passing any public charge determination when granting her green card. Um, but luckily, she doesn't have to worry about that as she applies for her citizenship because she's already passed that test. So, but yes, you're exactly right that having those two factors are are strong indicators, and that's one of the reason I tr try to encourage families to really consider whether getting these benefits, even if they're kind of afraid, and even even if they don't affect them at all, 
but they're still hesitant because they want to be self-reliant or whatever, I encourage families to look at what are the benefits of getting these Medicaid benefits for your family or, or, or food benefits for your family to keep your, yourself and your family healthy and uh, so that you are able to work so that when your green card camp, uh, application comes up, you are in a strong position to show, hey, I've got, uh, you know, I'm in a good position. I, I'm able to work. I, you know, I'm healthy and, um, and my family is healthy. And to the extent that I have other working adults in my household who are healthy and mm -hmm. uh, well fed, that that is what's going to help you in your application, I think, in the long run. And so people should think about those factors uh, before they forego these. Uh, benefits, especially if they're in a needy situation, as we know that many families are during the, as we come out of the pandemic, many of these immigrant families are still uh, unemployed and, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to pay all of their bills. All right. Well, thank you so much. This part of the conversation has been very enlightening, and I hope that we've touched on, you know, a lot of concepts that, you know, potential applicants may have been struggling with, and I hope this has been illuminating. I do want to sort of transition to sort of around what you do for your work, or at least, you know, sort of what you do that it relates to our conversation today. So, yes. so your website, the website is keepyourbenefits.org, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, oh, no, oh. please. Thank you. So yes, this keepyourbenefits.org website is kind of the, um, came out of work that we've done for the past 10 years on public charge, trying to, it's very complicated in some ways, this, this in, or in many ways, this rule around public charge, because you have to understand a little bit about immigration law and who faces a public charge rule and a little bit about government benefits to understand who's actually eligible for these benefits that are in the public charge rule. And uh, so it gets a little bit confusing unless you're an, an expert in both areas, which I'm only and uh, claim to be to know about public benefits, not really much about immigration, but I know enough about the immigration public charge uh, rule to talk about these benefits. And so we thought, uh, so in our education program, we try to break it down to make it very easy for people to understand who does this uh, public charge uh, determination apply to and which benefits actually count. And so that people don't have to remember it and people in the field who are helping people apply for benefits or talking to them about their financial situations don't have to memorize all the rules or feel like they're giving legal advice. We created this website that kind of has a guide in it that where you just put in an immigration status that you're curious about. It doesn't even have to be your own. It could be somebody else's. And it asks you just a couple questions and it leads you to an answer as to whether or not there's a public charge determination for that immigration status. Um, and we're trying to push that out uh, to the, well, we started with it as a California site, but this past year we, uh, along with the Protecting Immigrant Families Coalition that has been leading the charge uh, around public charge issues, uh, adopted uh, uh, the national site. So we have a national site and a California site for the keep your benefits. Uh, and that's mainly because, like as I mentioned earlier, that these programs, the, the cash aid programs uh, like TANF are have different names in different states. Oh. And the, the national uh, name for it is, is the uh, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families or TANF 
but in California it's called CalWORK. So the only difference in these websites are the names that uh, we talk about as far as the government benefits, because it's easier to more people to understand. Yeah, so it's just maybe, you know, differences in name and slight changes in policy. I mean, are there any more substantial differences or is that not really the case? Uh, well, there are, oh, yeah, that's actually mostly it. Uh, there, the only substantial differences are because different states might have expanded their Medi-Cal uh, programs that might make certain people who aren't eligible for the national program eligible for state-funded programs. Um, but the rule, again, doesn't change as far as the who public charge affects is a federal law, so that's not going to change uh, from state to state. It's just the, the names of the benefits that might be easier for people to understand. And so we're really hoping that this uh, is a tool that assisters out in the field can use to help people apply. It's in Spanish and Chinese, so people who directly affected individuals could use this, uh, this guide directly. Uh, we're also hoping that immigration lawyers can access it because although they understand the public charge rule, they don't necessarily know what benefits count. And so we hear time and time again that, oh, my immigration attorney told me that I should just avoid any benefits, right. uh, which is maybe the safest route as far as the immigration lawyer is concerned but it really doesn't take into account that maybe this family is in a position of need right now and could benefit from these programs, which won't have any effect on their uh, uh, later green card application. So we hope that this will educate not only the public, but uh, the immigration and other legal uh, providers who are out there having to deal with this issue of people who want to get a green card, but also want to you know, have uh, some needs in their family right now. Yeah, of course, you know, needs of applicants today are always so varied. It's almost silly to assume that they can't participate in any sort of public benefit, especially since, as we said before, you know, the ones that are disqualifying are probably ones they wouldn't qualify anyway. Exactly. Even though, and I do want to point out that many of these folks who are not eligible for those benefits do work and pay taxes either through their payroll or through an ITIN um, filing taxes directly with the government, and yet they aren't able to benefit from many of these programs. Um, so they certainly should be getting those benefits for their uh, documented family members. All right, thank you so much. I have one quick question dialing it back to the Keep Your Benefits tool. You know, I actually sure. put it out myself in in preparation for this podcast, and I actually think it's really nifty. So the immigration status that I put in was sort of DACA recipient, and you know, it kind of guided me towards you know certain other follow up questions that eventually came up with a possible outcome for me. I don't actually remember what it was right now, but I do like to speak to the idea that you know it is actually really cool and does promote sort of what your possible outcome is with regards to future applications. Yes, and the other uh, great thing about this site, uh, which I wanna put a plug in for Ian because you all helped us uh, develop the original website, we do have places for people to click on if they have further questions and wanna to talk to an immigration attorney about their own particular situation, because this is just general information and not personal advice. And if they do need a, a personal uh, legal consultation, we have a link to the Ian's website, which 
it takes you to uh, a place where you could just put in your zip code and you can find the immigration legal services programs that are in your area. So um, we're really uh, quite pleased with this tool that we developed and hope that it's helpful to everybody in the field and to the community. Yeah, that predates me, but I'm yeah. glad. <laughs> yes, well, I, I mean, I just think it's it speaks to this notion that Ian is, which is what Ian is all about, uh, and that is to try to figure out uh, tools that we can create online um, to help meet the vast need out there for people who have questions around immigration uh, law but don't have ready access to uh, the, the advice uh, that they need to get to figure out how to make their way in the world. So uh, developing this this question answer guide uh, with Ian was a, a, a great um, experience. And so I wanna put in a plug for you all uh, and your ability to kind of turn uh, what could be very complicated uh, uh, information into easily digestible kind of question answer formats for people. So. I just want the record to show I did not put her up to say this. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think that there's so there's so few resources out there for low income families that any time we can leverage uh, the you know the the internet and these uh, uh, software programs to help people get simple answers to just simple questions, um, it's really empowering for folks. So. Thank you. I have one last question. Um, can you tell me more, as a matter of fact, as we sort of are seeing ourselves emerge after a year and a half of being in this COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, vaccinations are going up and we start to see some hope, you know, obviously the effects of this sort of year and a half of downturn still will be felt for years to come even. With that, yeah. tell me more about the immigrant el eligibility for COVID-19 related benefits brochure on the website. Yeah, well, that we put that on because again, the COVID related benefits and um, the stimulus payments and the child tax credits, all of these things um, recently have uh, widened their eligibility for uh, for families that are mixed status. So you might have an undocumented parent who's paying taxes through an ITIN, but they have children who have a social security number and they're eligible for a lot of these um, benefits. Uh, in addition, the pandemic EBT benefits for kids who were not able to take advantage of the school uh, meal programs while they were, because the schools were shut down, those benefits were transferred over to these pandemic EBT cards. Um, both the previous year and for this current year, although folks were behind on getting those cards, um, these are all available to people regardless of their immigration status. And we wanted to make sure that uh, that fam mixed status family households knew that uh, what they could access during this period, because it's I think you're right. We're gonna, it's going to be a long time before uh, folks on the low low income side of this economy. Uh, really get back on their feet. And so we're really encouraging people in, in this time, this more hopeful time uh, to access the benefits that they qualify for and that they could use to keep their families healthy and to really reduce the, you know, the, uh, 
the different factors that go into whether or not your family is going to be able to survive and thrive in this next period. So. Yeah, well, thank you so much. That's sort of the end of the questions that I have for you today. I mean, if you have anything to add, and it's perfectly fine if you don't, feel free. Uh, no, I just want to encourage people to remember that this tool is out there, uh, and that if they are working with or are a, a member, affected member of the community with questions around their their immigration status and their ability to get benefits that they really reach out and try to get that information they need to make good good decisions for their family at this point in time. Because I know that many families are struggling right now and they're gonna struggle for a period until we get this economy back on its feet. And even when it gets back on its feet, there's always families who are in transition and have uh, come into hard times. and. We just want folks to have the information they need so that they can feel safe about accessing benefits if they need it. Yeah, I mean, and also I just wanted to reiterate the Keep Your Benefits tool at keepyourbenefits.org in case, you know, someone's listening to this podcast and they kind of missed it the first time. Well, here it is right now. So one more time, keepyourbenefits.org. Great. All right. So thank you, Hope, for joining me today. Thank you for your time and expertise. Um, I just wanted to say that this podcast will be uploaded to the Ian website. Uh, access is free for members, and membership is free for nonprofit staff and pro bono attorneys. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, did you have one thing last? Did you have one more thing to say? No, I just wanted to thank you for having me on this program. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining. The pleasure was all mine to have you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>